Wrapping up a great week live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. Gang's all here. Paul Nolan's got some news. Rick Delgado's going to have what even is that tonight? Gio tells me it's fantastic. I have not seen it, read it, or heard anything about it other than Gio says it's fantastic. So, no pressure. Okay. Uh, Yep. Um, Rick Emirati's going to have sports. No one has told me how sports are going to be tonight. Rick, how are you? Hey, Big D, sports is going to be busy. A lot of activity tonight. <laughs> NFL trade, big trade between the Dolphins and the 49ers for draft picks. We got NCAA preview, and uh, we also got some Bristol dirt road track racing NASCAR this weekend. First time in 50 years. Okay, very good. Paul Nolan's going to have some news. Anything uh, big happen today? Yeah, it's uh, Orange Man still bad, new guy still brain dead, and the uh, press secretary still has nothing to say. Well, we'll have some of the press secretary today. We have uh, her. I guess she was back in the briefing room today. And a couple of exchanges we've pulled out here. One with Peter Ducey, I guess, is kind of interesting. Um, well, a couple things about the filibuster. This 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 filibuster thing um, and the way that people are running with this and the Democrats trying to make this somehow about all of this is about some big – and HR1, they're doing the same thing. This is all – some big civil right in the name of civil rights and somehow this is uh they're looking out for african-american voters somehow um it's just quite astounding this line of, of nonsense that they're trying to run up the flagpole this is the party uh, the party of jim crow is reminding us somehow that this what's going on in georgia with state legislatures trying to take their power back take it back that they've already been conferred in the Constitution that was completely waylaid in this last election. Somehow, what did Joe say? It's not even worse. It's worse than Jim Crow. It's Jim it's, Eagle. It's Jim Eagle, yes. Yeah. That's very um, clever. And and I, I did an internet search of Jim Eagle, and I couldn't find much. Yeah. I found a Jim Eagle Honda out of Texas. <laughs> but, but that was about it. And there was a hockey player. Uh, from the 70s in the WHL. His name was Jim Eagle. That's now, it. Now, um, this, is, this is Joe Biden, who I have played over the year that we've been on Real America's Voice. I've played clips of him in 1975 in NPR, talking about his work with segregationists. I have played multiple clips of this man. Um, his best friend, Robert Byrd, who the Democrats elected, I believe, the leader in the Senate, <laughs> who actually started the KKK um, chapter in West Virginia because they didn't have one. That's why he was known as the Grand Kleagle. This is the guy and this is the party telling us that this, they're, they're on some civil rights uh, march here with this legislation, and we're all just standing in their way. I mean, the irony of it is almost beyond description and the way they're the way that they're talking about the filibuster i never got to this clip last night and i don't even have the number in front of me g but i believe it okay so let me just take you down a little trip down memory lane here of a couple people that you might be familiar with one of them was both senators at the time roll this but the american people sent us here to be their voice they understand that those voices can at times become loud and argumentative, but they also hope that we can disagree without being disagreeable. Mm. And at the end of the day, they expect both parties to work together to get the people's business done. Oh. 
What they don't expect is for one party, be it Republican or Democrat, to change the rules in the middle of the game so that they can make all the decisions while the other party is told to sit down and keep quiet. Oh. The American people want less partisanship in this town, but everyone in this chamber knows that if the majority chooses to end the filibuster, if they choose to change the rules and put an end to democratic debate, then the fighting and the bitterness and the gridlock will only get worse. Oh. Now, I understand that Republicans are getting a lot of pressure to do this from factions outside the chamber. But we need to rise above the ends justify the means mentality because we're here to answer to the people, all of the people, not just the ones that are wearing our particular party label. At its core, the filibuster is not about, not about stopping a nominee or a bill. It's about compromise and moderation. That's why the founders put unlimited debate in. That's what it's about. Engendering compromise. Boy, he sounds and moderation. Much different. <laughs> much different. He really does wow. sound and look different, doesn't he? Like he's Big all time. energetic. You yeah. know. Wow. You know what? If I was um, if I was in politics, I would plagiarize that exact speech, <laughs> word for word, verbatim down the line, and then I would go, I, I'd plagiarize the next one, and I would just completely blow it. And go ahead, you guys want to fact check what? No, I wrote this. I swear. They can call me a liar all they like, and then they got to show this clip all over the news. Well, yeah, no one will show it. I mean, that's, a, that's Senator Barack Obama, three years later, becomes president. Well, no, we got, you know, the rancor will only get worse. We, who could possibly think of this? Fast forward a quick, what's 15 years between friends? Oh, it's an old, it's a, an old relic. It's an old Jim Crow relic, the filibuster. Well, that certainly wasn't what he said in 2005. Certainly wasn't what Joe Biden said in his hundred years as a senator. And it didn't, they didn't seem to have a problem with the last year when they used it on, uh, what do you call it, Senator Scott and the, uh, and the police bill. I mean, the last four years, I mean, think... I mean, how did we get to where we got with Supreme Court justices because of Harry Reid? I mean, they've used a filibuster or decide, you know, it's, it's just whatever gives them the most power at the time is the only way they're interested in going. When Harry Reid thought he could get rid of it to do things, they did it. And then when Mitch McConnell did it for judges, he told them this is going to come back to bite you. Then the, the Democrats filibustered. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And you have these clips out there of these two, the vice president, now the president, Obama for eight years. Here they are talking about the filibuster and how the party in power can't be thinking about doing this because it will just, that's not what this uh, republic, representative republic is about. It's about uh, representing the people. Let's slow it down here. Oh, no, not, not anymore. Not anymore. There's Caitlin Collins yesterday to Biden. If you agree with Obama that it's an old relic, why don't you get rid of it? There, here we go. I guess that's what she wants. She, she let us know where she stands. Just like Yamichi Alcindor. Not journalists. Just they're trying to push their own personal agendas and what they want. So there you go. <laughs> and um, I'll give this to Biden. 
I wasn't going to start with this story, but since we're talking about it, I mean, this is, I'll give it to him on this one because you know, it's the old thing. If you can't, if you can't beat them, well, try to cheat. Yeah. So here's what Biden does today. Now who's the two swing votes here that possibly could come into play? Kristen Sinema, possibly mm-hmm. from, I believe, Arizona. And then, of course, everyone's favorite moderate, not really, uh, Joe Manchin from West Virginia. <laughs> moderate. So Joe Manchin could stand in the way of a lot of what they're trying to ram through. And Kristen Sinema. I don't, I don't know enough about her to know. She seems, I played you the clip of her dancing and giving the thumbs down and whatever. But, you know, Manchin, I don't know. Well, here's what Biden does today. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Article in the Washington Times, I believe this is. Yes. Biden <laughs> nominates swing vote Senator Joe Manchin's <laughs> wife yeah. for a $160,000 job. <sighs> President Biden intends to appoint the wife of the Senate's top swing vote, West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin. <laughs> To a plum federal position that pays 160 grand yeah. annually, the White House announced today. <laughs> Nothing it would, to see here. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Wow. The White House announced today it would nominate Gail Manchin, a former president of the West Virginia State Board of Education, to serve as federal co-chair of the Appalachian Regional Commission. The organization is responsible for spurring economic development and investment in the 13 states that make up the region of Appalachia, which spans from northern Mississippi to Pennsylvania. If confirmed by the Senate, Mrs. Manchin is slated to replace Tim Thomas, a former staffer for Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. The role comes with a salary of approximately 163 thousand dollars does it say how many hours a week she has to work at that job <laughs> i don't know Five. see if i get to it <laughs> according to the federal Five. database uh pay database mrs manchin's nomination comes shockingly as her husband has become a vital political player in washington dc despite democrats controlling both congress and the white house the party's uh, hold on the senate is tenuous at best can i tell me this that her daughter that their daughter now is going to be like the host of the morning show on cnn well no i don't think that <laughs> i don't think that's going to really matter he's not going to get her that job but this one matters the upper chamber is split 50 50 between both parties as kamala harris is the 51st tie-breaking vote given the narrow margin Joe Manchin, a self-described moderate to conservative Democrat, holds immense sway over whether the Biden administration's agenda can become law. The senator's influence was felt earlier this month when he delayed passage of the coronavirus relief bill due to issues surrounding unemployment benefits. Mr. Manchin has also been a key figure in a renewed push to abolish the Senate filibuster, the rule which requires a three-fifths Senate vote, which is usually 60 votes, to end debate on a piece of legislation has become a point of internal division for Democrats. Progressives argue the filibuster should not stand in the way. (laughs) Of course, nothing should stand in the way, according to them, uh, in the way of Mr. Biden's agenda on gun control, climate change, voting rights. The latter has been specifically notable in recent days as Democrats prepare to put a significant signature electoral overhaul, the H.R. 1 S. 1 for the People's Act, 
which you know what I tell you about yeah, these yeah. titles. It's mm-hmm. just the, it just does the opposite of what the title says. Uh, up for vote next month, Mr. Manchin, who has balked at prior attempts to jettison the filibuster, has shown a new openness on the topic. Well, he's, he's got 160,000 well, yeah. new reasons to... Well, exactly. let, me, let me give this another thought. Recently, the senator suggested some changes to the rule could be made to ensure it was more painful to use. It is unclear if Mrs. Manchin's appointment to this high-paying federal post will have any impact really? on the senator's position. <laughs> really? Furthermore... Did, did they actually write that, or did you say that as a joke? No, that's 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 here. Oh. Furthermore, it remains uncertain whether Mrs. Manchin will accept the co-chair's salary. A number of prior federal employees with close family ties to a leading elected official have chosen to forego their salaries to avoid any hint of a conflict of interest. Well, <laughs> the way she's going to do that here is, well, get divorced. <laughs> Not just give up her salary. But I don't think that's going to happen. Most notable, Jared and Ivanka Trump decided not to accept compensation. Well, neither did the president for four years, by the way. No, she'll, she'll just end up on the ledger seat, sheet as uh, the big gal. Make sure she gets her 10%. America's Voice is a news platform dedicated to keeping people informed. The U.S. will have enough COVID-19 vaccines available to vaccinate every adult in America. Headlines from here in the U.S. and around the globe. Protesters are continuing to ignore threats of years in prison and lethal force by police. Full coverage of live events. So 92% of that $2 trillion spending bill is unrelated to COVID. Real news. Honest views. Real America's Voice. All right, live from Studio 6B, 17 past the hour. Lots to do tonight. So last night was a great show. And uh, the great John Solomon, of course, joined us. Now, Harry wasn't in D.C. to keep things uh, going. I don't know what was going on there. We only had about an hour worth of phone calls, and then we couldn't take any more. I don't even know if Harry's aware of that. If Harry was there, we would have had two hours of phone calls. So we'll, next Thursday, we'll have two hours worth of phone calls as this Thursday phone call thing, Harry, is becoming something. And your idea of having guest, um, Harry's here in the studio with us in New York. Your idea of having guests um, who answer the phone more than, you know, not that you and John Connell and Austin and all the guys are not, you know, superstars. But having John Solomon answer the phone is, I mean, come on. That's a little different. Well, no one can hear you, Harry. You can't yeah. talk. So, <laughs> But next Thursday, we'll take calls. Um, but last night was a great show and my point of starting to say that was I want to, I'm going to get to something after we do some news here in the next segment and I'm going to spend a pretty good amount of time on this story because no one's going to report on it and I talked to John Solomon about this last night this Hunter Biden gun story is, is a story that should not go away and Politico did this article about it and the Blaze had done something I think even at the end of the year, and just the news has had it, at, I think, at the end of the last year, too. But it never, it never kept any momentum, obviously. But this is, this is a story that should not go away. 
And our guy over at Red State, Shipwreck Crew, who writes about as good as you can write, has a two-part piece that I want to get into tonight. It's because you got to be familiar with these details. Because this is one of those situations, take, take him out and put you or me or anyone else in. <laughs> and you can just imagine where you'd be right now. Oh, yeah. You'd, have a, nice be, jump, uh, you'd have a nice jumpsuit on. You'd have uh, three yeah. squares and a, and a very firm bed. Three hots and a cot. Three hots and a cot. Right. And there's, there's something going on here. There's something going on with this story. With the Secret Service, the FBI. and I, I mean, there's something going on here. So I'll get to that in a second. But let's do some news here with Paul Nolan. What's going on, Mr. Nolan? Well, I, I just found this amusing. The Yale psychiatrist who declared Trump mentally unfit gets Doc, fired. Dr. Bandy Lee, I believe was Dr. her name. Dr. Bandy Lee, that's yeah. right. Uh, and now she's suing the school. The former psychiatry professor at Yale University is suing the Ivy League school, alleging that she was fired because of her mental health diagnosis of President Trump, whom she had never met. No, she got fired because she's mental, period. Yeah, well, Dr. Bandy Leo previously worked as an affiliated uh, faculty member in the psychiatry department at Yale. Uh, on Monday, filed the First Amendment lawsuit against the university, reporting uh, at the uh, student newspaper, uh, the Daily News of Yale. So, uh, you know, I find the irony here palpable that somebody so deep from the left is, uh, you know, crying for the First Amendment here. After she's been... And she's suing the school newspaper? She's school, suing the school, and uh, it was reported in the newspaper. Oh, yes. oh, suing the school, reported in the newspaper. Yeah. You know, she was questioning the health of uh, Trump since 2017 when she became the editor of The uh, the Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, uh, the New York Times bestseller. Yeah. So she, you know, she felt like she was an expert. <laughs> well, yeah, and so did the media at the time. She was the new shiny object of the day. She was it. For about a week, she was the new shiny object. And that was when I believe Dr. Ronnie Johnson was still in the White House. And I can remember him taking questions from the, the uh, media about, uh, well, you know, as you see this Dr. Bandy Lee, what's, what's going on with the president? Is he this? Is he that? Have you tested this? Have you tested that? She says this. She says, and I can remember him saying she, she's never met him. Yeah, she she <laughs> thinks that she was uh, fired because of she made one post that said just about all Trump supporters are, are suffering from shared psychosis and said that Alan Dershowitz, who was a lawyer on Trump's legal team, had wholly taken on Trump's symptom by contagion. Yeah. <laughs> Boy. Yeah, she seems like a, pe- she yeah. seems like the brightest bulb in the bunch. That's for sure. These are the people teaching your children, the yeah. ones you pay top dollar for to teach your children to hate this country. Yeah, and to um, run their psychosis on people from afar, like she did. Yeah, and be promoted by the mainstream media, so you believe it all. Yeah, let's not forget that part. It's it doesn't stop. So, I, did you guys have the clip? Do you have the clip of Ted Cruz at the border today? No, boy, man, he really went after it. Uh, Cruz says there's no social distancing in Biden cages. Calls border surge man-made crisis. Um, Cruz called the illegal activity at the southern border a man-made crisis by the Biden administration. And he said, it's a tragedy. It's a man-made crisis. This was avoidable. This was preventable. And, and regardless of your party, Republican or Democrat, you should look at what's going on here and say enough is enough. Um, you know, Cruz and uh, Senator uh, John Corrin uh, led a delegation of Republican senators to view the conditions of the U.S.-Mexican border in Texas. 
And um, all of us today witnessed the Biden cage, as he said. What is occurring here on the border is heartbreaking and it's a tragedy. Um, he added, we have an army of TV cameras here. It's striking that not a single one of these cameras is allowed in the Donna facility. And uh, he said, we requested the media accompany um, excuse me, the pop up here. We uh, the, the facility, the Biden administration said no. Trump administration allowed the media inside the facilities like that. The Obama administration allowed the media in, inside, in, in facilities like that. And Bush administration as well. Bill Clinton administration had the had. But the Biden administration wants to hide what's going on here. Uh, Jen Psaki was asked about, um, you know, Biden said in the press conference, as I said to John Solomon yesterday, oh, no, no, we're going to be very transparent on this. I just can't tell you when because we're going to wait till our plan goes in and I can't tell you what the plan is. So as long as you're okay with that, we're going to be transparent. Uh, cut six, she was asked about it. Roll it, G. Just to follow up with my question with the president yesterday, I asked him about transparency and access for journalists into some of the facilities at the border. The president said, I will commit when my plan is underway to have access. It sounded to a lot of people like he was saying, I will let more cameras in once I'm satisfied with the conditions. How is that consistent with transparency? That's not actually what he meant. I'll first say we did allow access, including an NBC camera, exclusively into the shelter facility on Wednesday. And we're committed to increasing access and doing additional pools, uh, making it available, these facilities, including the Border Patrol facilities, as well as the shelters. What he was conveying is right now his focus is on moving these kids. Uh, out of these border patrol facilities, right? And making sure it's done in a, a way that keeps them safe and keeps everyone safe. That does not imply that we are not going to allow access until that is done. It implies that is his first focus. So um, I, thanks for asking the question. That was his, in, in, that was his intention. Time frame for when, and noted that NBC did go in as pool. Do you have a time frame for when the next round of cameras might be allowed in? Oh, we're, we're working on it, hopefully soon. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's something it. we're certainly committed to, and we're just working with DHS and HHS on when we can make it possible. Yeah. Is that okay, Kristen? Okay, good. Nothing? No, that's your follow-up? Okay, good. Thanks. I'm glad you accept that as the answer. Because if I was Trump and this was going on and you guys, would you be reporting on it the same way? No, I don't think you would, would you? And you wouldn't be asking questions like this, would you? No, you wouldn't. If this was Trump, you'd be reporting on it 24-7. You'd be in here screaming at me. I wouldn't be able to get four words out before you start screaming about something else, interrupting me. But I'm glad that you can ask me and I can just pontificate about nonsense, not give you any answers. You can sit there and accept it and ask me some crap uh, second question, which I'll give you no answer to, too, and then say, thanks for asking, Kristen. Go back and do your job. Man, we need a grassroots movement down there, just recruiting people to the Republican Party. Just keep on bringing them in. No problem. We should have hundreds and hundreds of people out there giving out homemade cakes and pies and come on in and just wear Republican shirts. Let's Come on, let's start recruiting. Where's they'll stop the border. Where do you want to do this? At the border, because they'll stop, they'll stop the border in a heartbeat if they start turning them into Republicans.
honest views. Real America's Voice. All right, 30 minutes past the hour. A couple last things I want to touch on on the border. It really does aggravate me to hear her, Kristen Welker's tone of voice, the way she asks questions in there with what's going on, with the media not being allowed to be in there and show and tell the story and show the story. And she's in there, and Jen Psaki gives her no answer, and she's just willing to accept it, and she's willing to let her talk. They never let Trump talk, and he was the one in the briefing room half the time. Yeah, and they were asking him the questions. And they would attack and interrupt and rude, obnoxious a-holes, all of them in there. And now it's, they get no, they're, just, they're totally getting the middle finger from this administration. Oh, do you, when do you think, do you, well, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you when I'm damn good and ready. Oh, okay, Jen, sounds good. Thanks. Oh my God, it's just repulsive. Uh, a couple last things on the border here. Uh, Saki was asked about Biden's statements contradicting the border numbers. I also saw one of, um, not Jen Saki, I think the other girl who maybe works right underneath her, Bettingfield or Bettingham or something. She's awful on TV too. She was on CNN and I give credit to the host who said, you know, uh, Biden said half or whatever number he said yesterday are being sent back. Yeah. The numbers don't really bear that out. And she was, and then she went into some nonsense answer that made no sense either. But Saki was asked about this today as well. Roll that G. On the border, the president said yesterday the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of people coming to the border and crossing are being sent back, but only 13% of the 13,000 families that tried to cross last week were sent back, according to Axios. So where do we get a majority out of 13%? The vast majority of adults are being sent back. Okay, so the family units, 87% of them are being taken into the United States to either be resettled or await uh, await their hearings. Uh, I'm just curious, 87% in the country of the family units is not a majority being sent back. A majority of adults, which every adult is not a part of a family unit, as I'm sure you're fully tracking, um, and tens of thousands of people are coming to our border. We know that. Um, And so the majority of adults are being turned away. Uh, Our policy remains the same. Uh, we are implementing Section 42. As the president touched on and I touched on a little bit earlier this week, uh, we, there are capacity issues in Mexico, which we are in discussions with them about addressing. And they are not uh, in a position to accept and take the families that they have in the past. So that's part of the diplomatic discussions that we're having. Secretary Merrick has put out a statement saying this is the highest case of border crossing in, in 20 years. Yesterday, President Biden made it seem like this is not too unusual compared to other previous years, that in terms of the number of people trying to cross the border, it's, it's about average. Those don't seem to square. How does the administration view this in terms of whether this is press-netted or whether this is an increase? Well, the president was making the point that we have seen increases uh, at the border in 2014 when he was the vice president, 2018 and 2019, and he conveyed that over the last six months of the uh, uh, Trump administration, there was an increase of about 31 percent. We've seen an increase of about 29 percent over the last several months since he took office. So the point is, we've dealt with this before. Uh, It is often seasonal. Uh, it is often cyclical, and he just wanted to convey that in his effort to to communicate and be uh, provide educational information to the public. Uh, but that doesn't change okay. the fact that he is uh, addressing this by uh, putting forward uh, every resource at our disposal in the administration. Just in this past week, we've taken steps to bring a number of new facilities online from Fort Bliss, where there are 5,000 beds, to Lackland Air Force Base, where there are 350 beds, San Diego Convention Center, 1,400 beds. 
these three sites alone uh, provide at peak capacity an additional 6,750 6, beds. One of our biggest issues, as we've talked about before, is uh, moving these kids out of the Border Patrol facilities into the shelters, uh, and we need to have places that are safe, that have educational resources, health resources, mental health resources, legal resources. This is a step toward doing that. The other piece where he has been very focused, as we all have been, is on expediting processing at the border. And earlier this week, the Office of Refugee Resettlement also instituted a revised policy for certain children who have a parent or legal guardian in the United States. This will add more capacity and more swiftly unite kids with relatives and sponsors. So of course, there should be a difference if it's a direct family member, a mother or father, um, and, and, and a different kind of adult, right? So there are steps to t we're taking to try to expedite even the processing. So our focus is on actions Gee. and solutions. We certainly know this Enough. is a challenge. It's something he is. Can we blow it up or no? No? It's just, I, I just, uh, the idea that somehow this is just, uh, you know, again, her, well, this is this no big deal. The way she talks is no big deal. Ladies and gentlemen, if this is no big deal and this is no different, why was Kaylee McEnany not going through this every day? Why were we not hearing about Fort this and Fort that and Fort this and Fort that having beds have to be open and places needed to be built and all? Why? Because if you think that the media wouldn't have been all over this when Trump was in office, if this kind of stuff was going on, and this is just really not that out of the regular, uh, you know, this is not that out of the regular day. Why is it we've never heard about this in the last four years? We never had press conferences like this. We never had stories like this. We didn't. Ha I gave you the numbers at the border. Last April of 19 or 20, I think, was the lowest number we had seen in like four years at like 16,000 crossings. Mark Morgan said to stay in Mexico was a game changer. I gave you the numbers. Do you ever remember Kaylee McEnany taking incoming like this on these kind of questions, on this kind of problem? You ever remember saying we're at capacity here, we're at capacity there? This wasn't happening. There was, no over, there was no flow of people like this. There was no increase like we're seeing now. Oh, it's only no, 31%. It's only 29%. What is she talking about? She, she, she's just Am trying, I missing something? She's just trying to flood the zone with stupid and hope that it, it catches on with people. That people go, okay, that sounds right. Um, but that's, it's, just not, it's just not palatable, especially when you go back to the first part of what she said. I don't know if you caught it. Right at the end... When she said, well, we're, we're, we've asked Mexico to take them, and they're saying they can't do that right now. Basically, what she's acknowledging is that the deal they had with Mexico that Trump set up, well, because they broke that deal, now Mexico realizes, hey, we're in a better bargaining position now. Um, so, yeah, we're not going to be doing that deal unless you make it sweeter for us. That's basically what's going on. They, they, they are now they now have to come to the table and give up more. They have to give more money or, or whatever just to get them back to where they were before. So that's the first part. And then the second part, oh, we're getting 5,000 beds. And this is great, beds. But you realize she's also saying we need to feed them. We need to educate them. We need health services. So it's more than just a, a big place with beds. We're talking about vast amounts of space for these people, and they keep pouring in and they have no answer and they have no inkling to stop because why would they would they they certainly wouldn't based on what he said yesterday they wouldn't be they wouldn't based on the policy they're seeing they're not going to based on what they're seeing with these kids who get here first and then the parents come along biden's like oh yeah 
We're gonna we're gonna call the bracelet, and if we find the mother, we're gonna put him on a plane and fly him back. Oh, really? You're gonna do that for for two for, million two first million class? flights? First class. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, what the, is he talking about? The bracelets that the cartels put on him. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good idea, Dead Joe. And then, and then, you know what? I'm with Paul on this one. I mean, if Trump's going to visit the border, he better bring a plane load of shirts and hats and just start outfitting everybody and watch all of a sudden Biden come down. You know what? This has got to stop. Well, we already, we've already, we've already, um, <laughs> that could happen. they've interviewed these people. The only reason they're coming is because of Biden. They've said that. The guy, that one guy who got interviewed by Martha Raddatz said, well, if it was Trump, I wouldn't even be trying this. I mean, this, this, is so, this whole, this nonsense she's spewing and getting away with, by the way, she's not getting pressed by Peter Ducey, kind of, but no one else. She's just getting let off the hook every day. There's no plan. They're not going to get in because they're not going to be able to make it better. And from what I understand, some other pictures got leaked out today. I saw a few of them online before I left the house today, and they're stunning. Aside from the fact that uh, Ted Cruz went down there and he looks like Bear Grylls. Here's the last thing I want to do on the border tonight. And then talk about stunning. Our own Ben Berkwam was down in Texas. Now you talk about in the heart of it. This is a report he filed today from the border while he's there. This is what happens. Roll that, Jay. As we were making our way from Zapata, Texas to Laredo, Texas, I'm going to be speaking out there later today. We noticed a helicopter flying low over the bushes out here in the desert. The uh, border is a few hundred yards to my left, right behind me now. And so we stopped, talked to Border Patrol. They said they were in active pursuit of a group through the desert. These guys are the guys that do not want to get caught. These guys are the guys that the distraction that the cartels are using with the so-called women and children and families are designed to distract Border Patrol from. This is where the drugs happen. This is where all of the trafficking of fentanyl and heroin and places like this, out in the middle of nowhere, where the border is close to the road, Highway 83 is right behind me. They, they traffic across, they bring the drugs, they get into a vehicle, and then they make their way into America. We've got six men from Mexico that have been apprehended. I don't know if they have drugs on them. I don't know the situation yet. That is being investigated right now by Border Patrol. But what I do know, is this is a crisis for America. You can literally be driving down the road, as we did today, and come up on a helicopter circling and find this. Everywhere along the border, hundreds of thousands of illegal crossings, this year estimated over a million, and that's the ones that they're gonna catch. The getaways are the ones that you need to worry about as well. And the, and the scary part is, it's not only the ones that get away, it's the ones that we let go. This is up to the American people to stop. It's up to you to stop. This is the battle for the future of America. Will we be America or will we be just another globalist, open borders, destroyed country like the left wants us to become? It is up to the American people. You have to call out your representatives. You have to call out the politicians. You have to call out the courts that are protecting them. These people need to be held accountable. If they swore an oath to the Constitution, they owe no allegiance to any foreign national. They owe no allegiance to any foreign country. Yeah. How about that? Pretty crazy. I mean, that's, that's really what's going on. Especially when you see how close that helicopter was. 
It's nice to see Lindsey Graham and all them walking around there when they've got secure. I mean, you know, they're they're not going. That's what's really going on. The, Lindsey Graham ain't, ain't not meeting those guys. <laughs> Lindsey Graham is, you know. Ted like, Cruz it, is not, it's not Lindsey Graham. being near guys like that who don't, like he said, these are the guys who don't want to get caught. But that's what's really going on. And it's going on everywhere. And it's going on consistently all day long. You know, Epoch Times about four or five months ago did a study on the amount of poisoned you know, fentanyl-laced drugs that come in, especially narcotics and, like, uh, you know, opioids, that come in deliberately designed to kill Americans. That's a true story. That's a really good story. I, I'll, I'll find it, and I'll share it with you, D. You can put it on our social media, because it was a must-read story. All right, we'll do sports, and then I'm going to get into this Hunter Biden story in hour two, after we do What Even Is That at the top of the hour. Live from Studio 6B. We'll try to get to some of your emails as well. Glad you're in on a Friday night, wrapping up a great week. Uh, More to do. We're back right after this. America's Voice is a news platform dedicated to keeping people informed. Start your day off with War Room, hosted by Steve Bannon. If they've got the data, if they've got the evidence, they've got the science, bring it forward. Followed by News On with Miranda Kahn. And we will continue to keep a close watch on the situation in D.C. Begin your afternoon with David Brody's Water Cooler. A huge deal here. We're going to unpack it all. Real America's Voice. All right, 13 to the hour, live from Studio 6B. Time to do some sports, then we'll do a little more news. And here at sports is Rick Amrati. What's going on, pal? Hey, Big D. Well, here we go. I don't know who doesn't like the rodeo, so we're going to go with rodeo first. Courtesy of the PRCA site, High Desert Stampede this weekend. We reported last night on round one. These are the updated round one finals, Big D. Uh, Redmond, Oregon, the first interstate bank. Uh, Bareback, Tim O'Connell on Meat Sweets, scored an 88 and a half. Saddle Bronc, Chase Brooks on Juggernaut, 86.5. Bull Riding, Josh Frost on Mr. Moody, 87.5. That score held up from last night, if you were paying attention. Steer Wrestling, Jason Thomas, 3.8 seconds, also held up from last night. And there's just a couple of new scores that, that came in last, later after the show. Uh, team Roping, Riley Minor and Brady Minor, 4.9 seconds. They're both minors. Uh, tie Down, Shad Mayfield, 8.0 seconds. And on the Bow Racing, Danielle Williams, 16.80 seconds. Good score there. NBA action right now, third quarter. Brooklyn Nets lead the Detroit Pistons 67-63. Boston Celtics 60-55 over the Milwaukee Bucks. At halftime, the Suns lead the Raptors 53-51. Pascal Siakam with 17 for the Raptors at the half. Nuggets right now trail the Pelicans 43-28. That's late second. Timberwolves and Rockets. Timberwolves up 28-23 and in the first. And Magic 28-23 over the Trailblazers. And yes, both those scores were exactly the same when I checked them. Uh, uh, and the Heat right now trail the Hornets 55-31 in the second. Paces and Mavs just underway. Mavs up by two. 
NHL action, light night in the NHL, just two games in action right now. Capitals are up 2-0 over the Devils, and the Ducks and Blues, nothing-nothing after one. Jets and Flames, Sharks at the Coyotes at 10 o'clock tonight. NFL, San Francisco 49ers acquired number three pick in 2021 NFL draft from the Miami Dolphins, who then trade number 12 to the Philadelphia Eagles. This is an ESPN report earlier today. The Miami Dolphins have upended the NFL draft order for 2021, sending the number three pick to the San Francisco 49ers for the number 12 pick, then traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. As a result, the Dolphins finished Friday's moves with the number six pick in this year's draft and multiple future first round picks as their as their overall haul. Miami also has the number 18 pick in this year's draft. So Dolphins are going to be wheeling and dealing. Dolphins sent shockwaves across the NFL landscape by trading the number three pick to the 49ers in exchange for their number 12. Um, Niners are looking to make a move. Uh, They say they're going to keep Jimmy Garoppolo as their main quarterback. So not sure what their agenda is, but thinking they are looking for a quarterback in the future. That's what I'm thinking there on that draft. So we'll see. That came out of the NFL. So already talking about the draft, which is at the end of April. Did I see that... um... Fournette re-signed with Tampa Bay, which makes them the first team ever yep. to win the championship. That's going to bring back every single starter from the from the um, from the championship team. That is correct, Big D. He signed a one-year deal earlier this evening. That is correct. Yep. So uh, yeah, that's amazing. That Buck team is you know they're going to be tough. They're going to be tough. Uh, Yahoo Sports reporting: Quarterbacks UFC. too old. Fournette. No, the quarterback's uh, too old. Yeah. Remember everyone saying it? Uh, oh, so. yeah, sure. <laughs> Tom Brady. He's going to play till he's 50. Uh, so, Yahoo Sports. UFC 261 sells out in minutes. Tickets warn of death and permanent damage from COVID-19. This is from Ryan Young of Yahoo Sports. The COVID-19 pandemic isn't over yet, but UFC President Dana White is moving forward with UFC 261 next month like normal. The UFC sold out 15,000 tickets in just minutes earlier today for the April 24th bout at the Vice Store Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida, which sets an arena record for the largest gate. Ticket prices, according to Yahoo Sports' Kevin Ioli, have already jumped 20 times face value. Fine print on the ticket warns of death and permanent damage. (laughs) While vaccines are being administered at an incredibly fast rate across the country, and cases are down from record spikes earlier this year, packing 15,000 seats into an arena almost certainly isn't a safe move, is what they're saying. But White and the UFC team it seems, are fully aware of this, and they are moving forward anyway. So they're going to pack them in. This is a great card. You got Kamaru Usman and Ori Masvidal uh, uh, batting for the welterweight fight, and you got a great fight with ladies, ladies with Valentina Shevenko and Jessica Andrade fighting there for their uh, their flyweight title. So that's going to be a good card, Big D. And they're going to pack the arena, so good for them. That'll be the first major sports in, sporting event with a full arena, by the way. So we'll uh, see. Shevchenko is going to maybe put her in the hospital. You think she'll, she'll really <laughs> kill her? That would be my guess. <laughs> yeah. She's tough. Woof. I know. Big D's a big MMA fan. He catches all the UFC. He's one of their main guys to do their pay-per-views, right, Big D? <laughs> I don't, I don't, there's not many I've missed. I know. I know. And uh, just a couple more. I got the Saints star Marshawn Lattimore in Stolen Gun Bust. This is from Greg Joyce of New York Post Sports. Saints cornerback Marshawn Lattimore, Lattimore was arrested Thursday night in Cleveland after being accused of possession of a stolen gun, according to reports. Lattimore, 24, was arrested by gang investors charged with carrying a concealed weapon and receiving stolen property and booked into Cuyahoga County Jail, Cleveland.com reported. He was initially pulled over as a passenger in a vehicle that was stopped for traffic violations, but police eventually found a loaded hand 
handgun in Lattimore's possession that he allegedly did not own. The Saints did not immediately comment on the situation ESPN reported. And Lattimore is a stud cornerback for the Saints. So Saint Nation, who that nation, got a little concern there. <laughs> Uh, and just one more big day. Oscar De La Hoya announces a July 3rd comeback this, uh, during the Jake Paul Ben Askren uh, presser. Oh, my God. Please. Uh, well, I'm on earth them all, big are, are, are D. Who's the, who's the guy who wrote us that letter about boycotting sports? Uh, I'm in. <laughs> hey, the Golden Boy. He's coming back. He's uh, he's 48 years old, and uh, he hasn't fought since December 6, 2008. So just a smooth 13 years. De La Hoya, 39 and 6. One of the biggest pay-per-view sensations of his era. Uh, he's going to be uh, having a fight. So no further details. I know Triller's going to take this event on. Snoop Dogg is probably going to be the MC. So, hey, big D, you'll get a night of entertainment out of it at least don't these guys save their money don't they put it someplace they i mean he's got to have made a couple hundred million dollars if not more i read mike tyson accrued 300 million dollars over his career and you know what his net worth is right now three million correct paul right on the money three million dollars and it's a shame because there's no recourse for don king robbing him yeah robbing givens robbing i mean he got robbed by everybody he knew he absolutely did, but he spent ridiculous money on things too. Well, was, a fool and his money deserved to be parted, I suppose. Yeah, but, I'm looking but forward. Are we really the, feeling uh, bad for the, the guy who bought a tiger? Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he bought a tiger. That was Tyson. Right. But, yep. but, but De La Hoya, doesn't he have a, a promotion company, Golden Boy? Uh, yeah, Golden Boy. Yeah, he, yeah, he does. So, I mean, De La Hoya is my, I'm he's sure doing he's making money. The, I think this is just ego. ego at this point. Absolutely. This is for De La Hoya. It's ego. I no, it's free money. Yeah. If he, look, if he makes a half million or a million dollars in a night, you're going to tell me he's going to train three times a week for four weeks. Yeah. He's not going to try. It's we'll just see. a gag. Yep. And that's a wrap in sports for this segment, Big D. All right. What were you saying, Paul? What do you think about uh, Masvidal against Usman? It's a good fight. That's a tough one. Usman's a monster. He is a monster. But Masvidal's plus 330. He's nuts. Yeah. Plus 330. Whoa. Well, that shows you what a monster he is. Plus 330. Wow. I like Masvidal plus 330. It's hard yep. to turn that down. That's a lot of that's a lot of juice. It's a lot of cabbage, yeah. Uh, anything quick in news before we uh, go to hour two? Yeah, Governor, um, California Governor Candidate Major Williams is uh, running on no state tax, make California safe by being pro-gun Second Amendment. The entrepreneur explains the innovative solutions to problems that California uh, faces. You know, he wants to, uh, you know, he wants to kind of turn California as red as he can make it. He says the eliminating the state tax and replacing with tourism tax is part of Williams' plan for bringing in revenue. He says we get over 279 million tourists a year. Even if we lose 20% of them because they don't want to pay an extra 10 to 20% tourist tax, it's still more revenue than the tax if we eliminated uh, the state tax. So, sounds pretty uh, interesting to me. He knows he's in California, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'll set those up for you all day. No. All right, uh, hour two, we'll get into this Hunter Biden story. I've got a lot of video to get to as well. Crazy Town, what even is that? More sports, more news, lots to do. We'll wrap it up here on a Friday night on Real America's Voice.
All right, hour two, live from Studio 6B. The Hunter Biden gun story. This one should be hard to make go away. Part one, I'll get into here in a second. There's two parts to this story. And it is really unbelievable when you dig into this and really pay attention to what the details of what we know now are. And there's a lot here in what's going on here today. And and um, shipwreck crew over at Red State, uh, before we get to what even is that, he's, he, he's got a... An interesting take on the press conference yesterday saying that um, political drops this story yesterday on a day that everybody's waiting for Biden on this press conference uh, with something that could be potentially a serious troubling episode for Hunter Biden in the Biden administration. But the reality of the political news cycle is such that the story will likely get lost in the coverage aftermath of the press conference and possibly fade from the public view with little follow up. Or any digging. I think that is why the Biden administration is hoping for and was planning for when they leaked this story to Politico. That's his opening paragraph on a day that the press conference happened. So we'll get into that in a second. But right now, it's time for one of my new favorite segments here on the show. And that's Rick Delgado with What Even Is That? All right, Dame. Well, uh, as I've mentioned, and I, and I think I mentioned it earlier this week on Tuesday, it, we, we talked about how people are traveling. The airports around the world are getting busy. People are getting on planes and traveling again. Uh, but as this pandemic has proven to be a bit challenging, it has also helped inadvertently, well, opening up our eyes, especially to things that we find flat out stupid or absurd. We've all heard and known for pretty much early on that the powers that be told us, they told us that children under the age of two years old were exempt from being made to wear masks, right? And it was pretty much universally accepted, not only in this country, but around the world. But there's always that one that decides, hmm, eh, eh, this power of authority it feels so good and that authority muscle (laughs) must be flexed to show how in control they are sometimes that authority authority might look like this uh or they might look like this yeah and in this case the one demanding that you respect their authority uh kind of looks like the people that work here for this yeah well, it turns out, check this out, you may not have heard this because nobody's talking about it. Parents of an 18-month-old baby were told to leave an airplane, a Frontier Airlines airplane, because their child, again, under the age of two, was not wearing a mask. Oh, Look my how cute God. That yeah. Are you kidding me? Even though, according to Frontier Airlines' own policy, they permit children under the age of two <laughs> to go maskless on their flights. So... What even is that, you ask? Well, I'm glad you did, because the other passengers kind of took note and were probably thinking, well, the same thing, because they got wind of this and what was going on on the airplane and how completely and utterly absurd it was. And, well, they decided to do something about it. Now, I call this pitchforks, not the literal kind, mind you, because they don't allow those on planes, but the intent is the same. The actions as a group delivered a sharp and pointed blow designed to get the attention of those in charge because of that. What happened next gives us hope. 
hope to those that feel like maybe we're getting to that point, that precipice of something, that feeling. Yeah. Why? Because all the passengers decided to walk off the plane. Wow. All of them. That's right. The couple and their baby were being targeted. And some say it had to do with other factors. Whatever it was, it sparked this. Okay? People standing up to the overreaching and overbearing authoritative power that wields its power, even over something mundane, as a scepter to strike down those who oppose it. The question is, now for you, where is your line? All right? What, what won't you tolerate? More, more importantly, though, what are you willing to do about it? Kind of like what these people did on this airplane. For all those saying, well, now all those people, look at them. They get off their plane. Now they're stuck and none of them flew anywhere. And Frontier was forced to cancel their flights. Uh, so who really got screwed here, right? Oh, fair point. But I'll challenge that fair point and raise you by saying this. That maybe because of all those people who got stuck... Because none of them flew and Frontier was forced to cancel that flight, hurting Frontier and sending a ripple effect of hurting Frontier. And because this story is now getting out there and some of the videos, which we'll link on the LFSB Twitter feed, are starting to get millions of views. And because Boycott Frontier is not only trending, but somebody made a website about it, um... And because it did not devolve into a fight or some type of violence that maybe, just maybe, we can avoid some of the worst of history repeating itself. I salute these people, all of them that got up for using their collective pitchforks and for speaking up. That was great. That's unbelievable, that story. That's crazy. All the people got off and left the plane. Yep. Wow. It came for me. Should be mandatory reading to every every child. The, this the the you know Horowitz has a piece today that I was going to actually get to if I had time. Um, and he's been on. I mean, he he thinks there should be criminal charges. Well, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but basically he says anybody who's anybody who tries to make a kid wear a mask should be be able to held in some kind of uh, you know when I last time I was on that plane and I saw little kids with the mask on it. To me, it just looked like child abuse. To me, if if you let's just say you saw some before this pandemic, and you saw a two-year-old wearing a mask and a three-year-old wearing a mask, and the, and the parents were married, you'd be thinking these people are absolutely crazy. How could they be doing this to these children? Why, when when the nanny state tells us how we have to protect our own children, no two-year-old is giving this virus to anybody else. They're not dying from it. It's just another flex of power, and it's got to end. Yeah. Well, the, believe it or not, that's it, it's as true as it gets. And, and, you know, unfortunately, you see that too many times. I see it when I go to the grocery store or, or wherever where people are putting masks on kids. It's like, and you just shake your head because it's like they even get out of the car wearing them already. It's like, yeah. come on. I was just going to tell you, when I, was, when I went to D.C. two weeks ago, as I'm driving into the heart of town there to get to the uh, studio, I'm sitting at a light, and next to me is a mom in the front seat, her kid in a child seat in the back. The kid is wearing a welder's glass, plastic, and a mask underneath that. The mom's in the front seat wearing a mask in the car alone. 
She's sick. She's just riddled with fear and sick. It's just a sickness, pure yeah. paranoia. And that's, you, that's what happens to the sheep. They just, know, okay, okay. Right in okay. my house is a little playground. I mean, and, you know, it's a kindergarten. And I was watching this gorgeous, sunny, beautiful day today, gorgeous out. And these little kids are running around. They're four or five years old. They're running around with masks on and trying to have the most fun. And there's all there are these teachers pushing them all away from each other. And it's it just, it's yeah. so unnatural. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's just... Uh, That's crazy. It's crazy. I saw it. I saw it in D.C. I saw it in, in Connecticut last weekend. We walked into... We had games in this gym. We get there. They won't let any of the parents in the gym. Only the kids can go in the gym. And one other person. So I go in as the one other person. You're allowed three coaches. We have two coaches. So we had one left. So I went in. And I go in, and there's a guy in there who thinks he's Dr. Fauci. Now, there's, it's 6,000 empty square feet with four basketball courts, and he's running around pointing to everybody, make sure you're mad. You're not, there wasn't one person in, except for the 10 kids on the court, and they're running back and forth. And they had to play in masks, by the way. Oh, no. That's yeah. disgusting. No, I just have to. How yeah. old are the kids, 14? Yeah. Yeah, do we have any data on kids yet? Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, we yeah. do. They Tons. never die from it. Right. There's, um, there's nobody around. He's running up and down the courts looking at anyone he can find, like he's the, the, the mask uh, police. He's a mask Nazi. It's just it's crazy. And the flex of power this guy had. He was like chewing on it like a puppy, like a rubber chew toy. Yeah. Our, our parents who were outside, they weren't allowed in. We didn't even know about it until we got there. They found a door on the other side of the building that the, the, the double doors were open. It's 70 degrees outside. They walked over to the double doors to watch from the outside. Guy came over and closed the doors in their face. Uh. I mean, this is, you know, these, these, are, these are the people that are out there who are listening to, who are watching Fauci every night and listening to the news, thinking that, the, the, thinking that not that it's 99.96, that it's like 0.6 survival rate. You would think this was like the... Uh, I don't even know like the what. bubonic plague. Yeah. Yeah, un unfortunately, all these hall monitors have now grown up and found a new gig. <laughs> right. That's you know? great. Yeah. The hall monitors. But think about it. These kids playing in masks. Sick. 14 years old. That is so unhealthy. And friends of ours have two sons on the team. They both had it. They didn't even know they had it. The only reason they knew is because they lost a little sense of their taste. Right. No other symptoms gone in, you know, four days. But now they're good. They had it. Yeah. Like they the, don't need know, a Remember the president used to talk about his son? He would say, oh, he's got it. And then I'd go 30 seconds later, he'd go, oh, he's fine. <laughs> that was not that much of an exaggeration. Right. Because that's the way these two kids got better. Just about that quick. But and yet, right, right, and but all these kids are wearing masks. Insane. They still want to vaccinate everyone. And so they want to vaccinate these kids. They're doing trials on these, on, on six-year-olds. It's, it's crazy. Meanwhile, they have no idea how many of them have even come in contact with it. How many kids you think across this country, if you did tests to see if they had antibodies, how many do you think? Probably I, most I of them. I bet you it would be astronomical, the percentage. Yeah, probably of most kids, of them. Of kids who never knew they had it. Astronomical. But this is, um, this is now the new thing. It's, it's, it's never going to go away. 
They don't want it to go away. Of course not. It's the perfect business model. We've discussed this. We don't want to go down this road again, but it's the perfect (laughs) business model. What is it? Eight trillion? How many? Eight billion people on the planet, and say, you know, a hundred bucks a pop. Former CDC director was out today. Speak since we're on this. I'll stay on it. Former CDC director Redfield says he now believes coronavirus escaped from a lab in China and started months earlier than we knew. Yeah, my bookie could have told you that. (laughs) The former director of the CDC made waves this morning after telling CNN that he believes the coronavirus pandemic began in when the virus escaped from a laboratory in Wuhan, China, and it started months earlier than the U.S. knew. Dr. Redfield, who led the CDC during the surges of the pandemic, told CNN's Sanjay Gupta that it was his opinion that the novel coronavirus did not evolve naturally from animal to human, but instead escaped a well-known uh, pathology lab, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. America's Voice is a news platform dedicated to keeping people informed. The U.S. will have enough COVID-19 vaccines available to vaccinate every adult in America. Headlines from here in the U.S. and around the globe. Protesters are continuing to ignore threats of years in prison and lethal force by police. Full coverage of live events. So 92% of that $2 trillion spending bill is unrelated to COVID. Real news. Honest views. Real America's Voice. All right, live from Studio 6B, Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. David Brody had Governor Christy Noman today, 3 o'clock. If you didn't see it, uh, here's how it went down. Roll it, G. Joining me now to discuss this is indeed Christy Nome. Governor, great to see you again. Thanks for being here. You too, David. Thank you for inviting me to be on your show. Well, uh, help me through this. Help our viewers through this. So am I right when I say that you 100% support only biological females competing in female sports? uh, And if this bill was just a K through 12 bill, you would sign it. But the problem is the college component here because the NCAA may sue the state or maybe take their business elsewhere. What's going on? Well, I agree with you, David, and I think a lot of people agree that only girls should be playing in girls' sports. Uh, That's not up for dispute. The bill that was given to me by my legislature was very flawed and different from any other bill in the country right now. What I've done is ask the legislature to make some changes so that I can sign it into law. And uh, they will decide that on Monday. And my goal is really to protect our kids, make sure that we don't have uh, boys playing in girls sports at the K-12 level and then also at the collegiate level, go fight a battle that we can win. That's why I started an initiative uh, called DefendTitle9Now.com. And I hope everybody who sees your show, David, goes and signs up and becomes a part of this coalition. We are getting professional athletes, college athletes, governors, attorney generals, um, celebrities, and everyday people to bond together 
together so that we can be a force that the NCA and these companies have to reckon with, so that we can go forward and make sure that we're taking action and pushing them to not bully one or two states, to, but to be a compact so we really can win this issue. So I'm hopeful that my legislature will adopt this bill. Uh, the changes that I'm recommending fix a lot of problems that are with it. There's no other bill in the country that's looked like this one. It just has some drafting errors in it. And then we can go forward and continue to fight to make sure we're protecting all girls' sports at all levels. Let me ask you about the NCAA. Have they been putting pressure then on the state of South Dakota here, Governor No. You know, previously they have in previous years when these bills have come. I have not heard from the NCAA, but uh, you know, I'm sure I will with how I'm coming after them with this coalition. It's a nationwide coalition that we've got Herschel Walker, Jack Brewer, Nancy Lopez. We've got governors on board. Yeah. Uh, we've got Attorney Generals Jeff Landry. So there's a, it's getting a lot of attention. Thousands and thousands of people are joining. So I'm sure that they'll um, be looking at us and, and me especially for trying to push this issue. But David, I want to remind everybody, I've been working on this issue for many, many years. That's right. Years ago, the federal government tried to say that rodeo couldn't have girls sports and boys events, that they had to be blended. And I was the only one who fought them and fought USDA and the federal government to make sure that the sport of rodeo could keep girls events and they didn't have to let boys participate in them. And we won. So I've been doing this for a long time and my record's very clear that I truly do believe and have been successful making sure that girls sports stay girls sports. Right. So Governor, let me ask you. So Conservatives say, look, uh, the NCAA is a, a big bully. Uh, you know, they probably are not going to have tournaments in South Dakota if, if this went through. Amazon might take their business elsewhere. And conservatives say, so what? Let them do it. Uh, the issue is too important. What's, what's the reaction to that? You know, I agree we need to fight, but we need to fight and win. So the difference that we're having in the debate we're having is over tactics. It's over strategy. And also the other bills that they're comparing South Dakota to um, just aren't the same, except for Tennessee. It's interesting. A lot of these conservative groups have been talking about how wonderful the Tennessee bill is. That's the exact bill that I asked the legislature to change this bill too. You know, the language that is on the governor's desk in Tennessee is exactly what I'm asking for. So the conservative group should be helping me reach out to my legislators and make sure that we're protecting kids and that we're doing this in a way that we can win the argument. And listen, yeah. I played sports. Uh, yeah. my, my daughters both played college sports. I've got a grandbaby coming that's gonna be a little girl in July and I want her to be protected too. And I'm gonna make sure that every girl here in the state of South Dakota that's 14, 15 years old isn't standing in a shower next to a 17 year old boy because we didn't do this right. And so I'm gonna do this in a way that actually protects those girls. I want to ask you, you've talked about these respected legal scholars. You, you've referred to them. I'm curious to drill down on that a little bit. Uh, they say the bill's not going to work. Who, who are they? I think people want to know where that advice is coming from, because I know there are conservative legal scholars on the other side who, who disagree with these respected legal scholars. Yeah, they're the same scholars that you see on Fox News and all the other networks, the ones that have been defending President Trump, the same ones that you and I talk to every day. Um, and we look specifically at the South Dakota situation. One thing that nobody's mentioning in the national news, David, is that every single one of my federal judges in the state of South Dakota was appointed by Obama or Clinton. And every single one of them was a Democrat Party activist. They worked for the Democratic Party. So that's the legal challenge that I'm facing is no 
knowing I'll get to that level and lose, we'll get to the Supreme Court, and then we're putting our faith in John Roberts making the right decision to make sure we win this victory. And so I'm going into this with a wisdom to make sure that we don't set ourselves up for a situation where we have a decision like we did on gay marriage, and it essentially gets a precedent put in court and case law that, that makes decisions for us that we could be winning on our own by building a coalition to go out there and really fight through the economic and the powerhouse of a coalition of states going at this together. Governor Nunn, there's been so much talk of you in 2024, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but conservatives have been hitting you on this issue. What is your message to those conservative groups? You know, I think maybe some of them are hitting me um, because they think I'm doing something in 2024. And what I would just tell them is, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in being the governor of South Dakota. And so quit attacking me, work with me, and let's get some work done and actually win this issue. I'm a problem solver. I'm a farmer, rancher. This is what I've done my whole life. I've won these victories when I was in Congress. Help us win it here at the at the governor's level, but also state by state. And that's why everybody should go and register for defendtitle9now.com and make sure you're helping us win this in the court of public opinion too. As, as I wrap up on this topic, and then I want to get to the Down syndrome bill, but we've got just a few minutes. I just want to understand, uh, some conservatives will say, look, there's already a coalition. You've got dozens of state attorneys, uh, state's attorneys uh, working on this already in many states. So why not just, uh, that coalition is there already. What's, what's the response on that? Well, David, I think we've seen in this last year um, how important governors are, how important states are when they're unified and governors lead. And anybody who says I'm not willing to fight, they sure didn't watch me the last year. They sure haven't known me my whole life. I was the only governor in this country that never once closed a single business, that never once issued a shelter in place. I never mandated anything like masks. I didn't even define what an essential business was because I don't believe governors. All right, so that's the that's the majority of it. I, that's the first time I've seen that. Um, I'm not really sure I get the the comparison between the uh, rodeo and the NCAA. Obviously, the NCAA is just clearly going to be more hostile. Now, the question. Um, well, well, the rodeo thing was because that's where she started fighting this fight for the girls was yeah. on the rodeo level because yeah. that was the first place where they tried to introduce, oh, you know, boys, you should open it up to boys who want to be girls. Yeah, probably the and, barrel and, racing. And, yeah, and she was like, no. And that's where she started but taking an, her stand. There's inherently different things like she herself pointed out about the NCAA question here. This bill is about whether your daughter is going to be in a shower with somebody, not if they're going to be able to ride a bull together. I mean, there, there are some definite differences in the, in the two bills. I mean, in this bill and in, in that in that argument that she had with them, it seems to me that it's not really apples and apples. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But here's the question that National Review brought up today. How does this not end up in court no matter what anyone says or does through all of this? They said they say even since the Supreme Court decision in Bostock versus Clayton County, which recall was confined to employment discrimination law, followed by the Biden's administration's announcement of its uncompromising transgender agenda, there's been a general skittishness uh, in insisting on the biological distinctions between males and females. The overriding concern among some seems to be, what if we get sued? Yet here, conservative lawmakers ought to think of the big picture. The more lawsuits, the better. Since sooner or later, one of them will make its way back up to the Supreme Court, where on the issues of women athletics, there's plenty of reason to hope that justice and sanity prevails.
Real America's Voice is a news platform dedicated to keeping people informed. Start your day off with War Room, hosted by Steve Bannon. If they've got the data, if they've got the evidence, they've got the science, bring it forward. Followed by News On with Miranda Khan. And we will continue to keep a close watch on the situation in D.C. Begin your afternoon with David Brody's Water Cooler. A huge deal here. We're going to unpack it all. Real America's Voice. All right, live from Studio 6B, 30 minutes past the hour. The Hunter Biden gun story. I told you the opening paragraph that he thinks they leaked this yesterday on purpose on the day of um, Joe Biden going out there and embarrassing himself, and everybody's talking about that. Uh, He says, much attention to this story is focusing on the involvement of two Secret Service agents at a time when Joe Biden was no longer under Secret Service protection. That is a curious part of the story, but I can imagine several explanations for their interest. I addressed that aspect in part two of this story. I'm more interested in the facts surrounding what Hunter Biden did. I hope I'm wrong about my prediction that the story is going to fade quickly. Hunter Biden committed a felony, and the evidence comes in the form of his own statements, which establish his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. It is not just any felony. It is a felony that is regularly prosecuted in every federal judicial district in this country and in significant numbers on an annual basis, especially when Democrats are running the DOJ. Rather than retype all the events, I'm going to extract from the political story the facts which are relevant to his crime. On October 23rd, President Joe Biden's son Hunter and daughter-in-law Haley were involved in a bizarre incident in which Haley took Hunter's gun, threw it in the trash can behind a grocery store, only to return later to find it gone. He says, just to clarify, which Politico opted not to do in their story, Haley is Joe Biden's daughter-in-law because she was married to Joe's deceased son, Bo, not because she was, is, or was married to Hunter. By October 2018, Hunter was divorced from his wife, Kathleen, and was involved in a romantic relationship with Haley, his sister-in-law, and the widow of Bo. That relationship ended in 2019. The incident began when Haley searched Hunter's pickup, which was parked at her home in Wilmington, because of unspecific suspicion she had. Jeez, wonder what that was. Mm-hmm. According to the Delaware State Police report, inside the truck she found a 38 revolver. Haley took the gun to Jansen's Market, a nearby high-end grocery store where the Bidens are longtime regular customers. There she tossed the gun wrapped in a black shopping bag into the trash bin outside the store. A real genius, this one is. (laughs) I'm 99.999% sure her suspicions were searching the pickup uh, for searching the pickup are set forth in the Delaware State Police report that Politico was quoting, but they do not attach the report to the article. I'm 99.99% sure that the suspicions will include concerns about whether illegal drugs were in that pickup and that the report reflects why she had those suspicions. Hunter had done something that caused her to be suspicious enough to want to search the pickup, but Politico denies the reader that information. The report from Politico says later that day, Haley informed Hunter of what she had done and he instructed her to retrieve the gun, according to the police report. 
When Haley returned to the grocery store, she found that the gun was missing from the garbage bin and reported the issue to the store. Police received calls from the store's general manager. Arriving on the scene, Delaware State Police retrieved security camera footage from the store and interviewed Jansen, the store manager. We, compiled with the pol- we complied with the police and gave them whatever security footage we could, Jansen said in the police report. Uh, back to the article, he says, well, there's the first big red flag in the story. Police were called. I would have been willing to wager that it was the Wilmington Police Department that was called. But then I looked closely at Google Maps and I realized that Jansen's Market's about a half a mile outside the city boundaries of Wilmington, Delaware. But Wilmington is in Newcastle County, Delaware, and there exists the Newcastle County Sheriff's Department, the second largest police organization in the state of Delaware which has a countrywide police force with authorization to enforce state laws throughout the county. Why is it the Delaware State Police are involved? That seems to be the only police report that Politico has found. I've looked at the website for the Delaware State Police and there is no division or service of the agency that would be called to the scene of a lost firearm call And I find it dubious to think that a store manager would first think to call the state police rather than a local law enforcement agency in that situation. I'd be curious to know if the state trooper who wrote the report was on patrol at the time he responded to a call from the dispatcher or if he responded from the troop barracks approximately four miles from the supermarket. In other words was a decision made within the agency to send someone out to the market to deal with the matter. Let's go back to the political story. In addition to questioning Haley, police called Hunter to the scene, where he was questioned outside the store's loading dock area and explained he used the gun for target practice, according to the report. (laughs) When a police officer asked Hunter whether the gun had been used in a crime, the officer reported that Hunter, quote, became very agitated with me and asked me if I was intentionally trying to make him mad, according to the report. When the officer asked Hunter whether he had been doing drugs or drinking heavily, he responded, listen, it isn't like that. I think she believes I was going to kill myself, according to the report. The question about using drugs or drinking heavily does not come from out of the blue. That must have been suggested to the police by Haley, reflecting the suspicions she had, which led her then to the pickup where she found the gun. After being questioned, Hunter retrieved the case for the gun, which included the gun's serial number from Haley's house and returned to the grocery store to hand it over to the police, according to the report. Now, the blaze first reported on this story back in October of 2019, but many of the key details weren't known at the time. All that was known was that a handgun belonging to Hunter Biden had been lost after Haley removed it from the truck and threw it in the garbage bin at the market. The story said the gun had never been found. No one was cited in connection with the incident. The political story throws in one nugget of information that suggests to me This story may have been purposely leaked. The nugget is meant to suggest a crime might be involved, but then makes clear that it's a crime that is almost never prosecuted. 
Politico obtained copies of the firearms transaction record and a receipt for the gun dated October 12, 2018. Hunter, Hunter responded no to a question on the transaction record that says, are you an unlawful user of or addicted to marijuana or any depressant, stimulant, narcotic drug, or any other controlled substance. Five years earlier, he had been discharged from the Navy Reserve after testing positive for cocaine, and he and his family members have spoken out about his history of drug use. Lying on a form is a felony, though prosecutions for it are exceedingly rare. This is the DNC media complex, giving the public the old, these are the droids you are looking for treatment. And then he, he links the, the Star Wars Jedi mind trick video from Star Wars. Uh, the link in the political story takes you to this GAO publication. Uh, few individuals denied firearm purchases are prosecuted, and ATF should, use, should assess use of warning notices in lieu of prosecution. I submit, as a speculative guess, the author says, that the political reporters did not dig out the GAO report on their own. My guess is they were pointed to that by whoever fed them parts of the story, and that person was interested in getting the story out, but with the provision that it be reported in a way suggesting that no crime by Hunter Biden was involved. There's only one problem with that. They are looking at the wrong crime. What am I talking about? I'll let the DOJ, the DOJ explain. And he's got a quote here from a previous case. Isaac Thomas, 24, of Covington, Tennessee, has been sentenced to 21 months in federal prison for being an unlawful drug user in possession of a firearm. This was a case where he admitted to owning the items and being a regular user of illicit drugs. Johnson was charged in federal court in Memphis with possession of a firearm while being an unlawful user of a controlled substance. He pled guilty uh, on a possession of a firearm in violation of 18 U.S.C. 922. That's a DOJ press release from December 4th of 2020, less than four months ago. (laughs) The conviction is a garden variety and very ordinary user in possession case. Congressional efforts to regulate lawful possession of firearms run up against the Second Amendment. As a result, Congress created a statutory scheme to regulate the possessions of firearms related to unlawful activities. As noted in the press release, Mr. Johnson violated the following provision in 922. Hunter Biden took his laptop in for repairs in April 2019, six months after his lost gun episode. There are videos on the laptop showing Hunter Biden using drugs and the metadata in the computer related to those video files is going to reveal when they were made. But Hunter Biden's history of drug use is not a secret. Hunter Biden did a long interview with the New Yorker in May 2019 after Joe Biden decided to run for president where he described his struggles with cocaine use. Hunter Biden has positive drug tests at least from his time in the Naval Reserve. There is only one fact missing from those necessary to prove the crime Hunter committed. For the federal government to prosecute a gun crime, it must prove that the firearm in question was transported in interstate or foreign commerce. There is no information in the story about that make or model of the 38 revolver involved. This is fairly basic fact that is established through the simple testimony by someone from ATF who has access to all information 
about where particular makes and models of firearms are manufactured. My limited research suggests that there are no gun manufacturers with facilities in Delaware. So the 38 revolver in question could only have arrived in Delaware through transportation in interstate commerce. Now there is no missing facts necessary to establish the crime that Hunter Biden clearly committed. These are cases that are regularly prosecuted. I did plenty of them myself in the last decade as a Fed. They are treated as stat cases. They are easily handled by new prosecutors and agents needing to gain experience. 99% end up in guilty pleas. They generate positive statistics for the agencies involved, and for the most part, they take people engaged in other criminal activities off the street. It is often a charge that defendants plead guilty to in exchange for other charges being dropped as part of a plea bargain. Congress likes to hear about these kind of cases and how many guns were taken out of the hands of criminals. Part two on this story is coming, and we'll look at the involvement of various federal agencies and how the timeline relates to other things happening in Hunter Biden's life in and around October of 2018. I'll tease it here by saying that all diversion is meant to keep the focus off the issue of Hunter Biden's federal crime. That's part one. (laughs) Wow. That's pretty clear. I wonder if that'd be mainstream news if it was Donald Jr. Oh, I bet it would. Yeah. Now, part two gets to the cover-up of why the FBI and Secret Service agents are involved in showing up in these places. Until the hour, live from Studio 6B. Time to do some sports. And here with that's Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? All right, big day. Well, my Twitter followers always keep me on target there. Susan Reitzman said to me, any golf news? I forgot to do this in my first round. So round two is completed at the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship uh, Tournament at the Corrales Golf Club. We have a three-way tie for first place, Big D, after day two. Uh, Rafael Campos, Fabrizio Zanotti, and Justin Sue all have a two-day seven-under. They both shot a two-day 137. So we'll... Uh, We'll keep an eye on that, and we'll have a report Monday. As I always say, usually it's somebody else that wins. NBA action right now. Nets lead the Pistons with about six seconds to go. 112-110. James Harden continues his pace for the MVP with 44 points tonight. He's playing really well. Celtics 118-101 over the Bucks late fourth. uh, And Suns lead the Raptors 103-100. That's also in the fourth. Nuggets and Pelicans, one-point game there. Pelicans lead late fourth. And um, just one more game. We have the uh, the Hornets over the uh, Heat, 90 to 74. NHL action. Well, Alexander Ovechkin, I guess he's not hurting too much. He's back in action. He had two goals tonight to lead the Capitals to a 4-0 win. And the Ducks, 2-0 over the Blues at the end of two. 
NFL won't require COVID-19 vaccines, but will incentivize them. This was uh, posted by Shereen Williams of NBC Sports. The NFL will not require COVID-19 vaccinations for players, coaches, or staff members, but the league is encouraging vaccines and incentives offered by the NFL will encourage pressure everyone to get a shot. <laughs> the NFL sent a memo to its club Thursday detailing protocols for draft weekend. It is relaxing masking and distance requirements if all individuals in the draft room are fully vaccinated. So again, they're not forcing it, but they're also going to inhibit guys if they don't uh, if they don't get their vaccinations in the NFL. So NASCAR, the first dirt race since 1970 could turn muddy. This is from Brian Lada of AccuWeather by way of MSN Sports. Uh, for the first time in more than 50 years, NASCAR's Premier Series is headed to the dirt for one of the most anticipated races of the season. But the dirt race could turn muddy with a potentially rainy weekend ahead. Between January 11th and February 25th, 2,000 truckloads of dirt were tra- transforming a half, little over a half-mile oval track into a bona fide dirt track that will be center stage this weekend at the Bristol Motor Speedway. Um, the last time NASCAR Cup Series raced was on a dirt track, September 30th, 1970. Little, a guy by the little name of Richard Petty took the checkered flag well before any of the current cup drivers were even born. Uh, to help give everyone a taste of what this race is going to be like, NASCAR has scheduled a series of qualifying races for tomorrow uh, by the 250-lap minimum uh, event on Sunday. So we'll keep an eye on the wet forecast. If it gets muddy, it's very difficult to dry that track. And I just want to mention one of our great LFS6B uh, followers and uh, one of my Twitter followers, a gentleman by the name of Jeremy Shaw, who was the Rookie of the Year in Afton Speedway, New York. He wrote a 358 Sportsman Modifier. He used to race against uh, Stuart and Jessica, uh, uh, Jessica and Stuart Friesen. Friesen uh, Stuart Friesen's racing tomorrow. He's a big-time racer, and he used to race against him years ago. And that's Bluestone Boogie on Twitter, Twitter who's actually making coasters of all of us uh, for us, and we'll be getting them next week. So, hey, shout-out to my Jeremy Shaw for his time in racing. I think I got time for one more story, right, Big D? Yeah, um, you got plenty of time. Okay. Uh, NCAA, we got a big weekend now. Don't forget, March Madness continues. Or, actually, it's the Sweet 16. Uh, Sister Jean will travel from Chicago to Indianapolis as her Loyola Chicago uh, Ramblers take on the... um well, they're taking on Villain, uh, Oregon State. That's right, Oregon State. That's the first game on tap at 2.40 tomorrow, Eastern Time. Going to want to catch that. Sister Jean Dolores Schmidt has the faith that they're going to upset Oregon State. She's a 101-year-old uh, chaplain for the team who's been with them for a number of years. And she says, uh, if we got this, it would be perfect. Sister Jean continued. They're working toward it, and I believe they still can do it. One never knows what's going to happen in a basketball game on the floor that night. So she is definitely fired up. A lot of good games this weekend. And then I Obviously, it becomes the Elite Eight, which will be Monday and Tuesday. We'll be on air Monday night, and we'll give live reports about the Elite Eight big day. Um, and I'm going to wrap the sports now because I know we got a crazy town you want to get to. So NASCAR, don't forget the racing. That's going to be uh, Sunday at 3.30, and that'll be aired on Fox. And that's a dirt racing, baby. All right, very good. Thanks, Rick. Uh, crazy town, what was your question again? Roll it, G. We tried to make this outdoors. It was not technologically possible yet. One day, maybe. We will update the week ahead. This does not have a lot in it, So, uh, but next week the president will continue laying out his vision for the future of our country. Um, there's nothing right. more precious than the right to vote and speak up. And the president certainly believes that. Um, I want to go to the Olympics. Does that matter? Um, no, and we've taken our own 
uh, strong actions in order to prevent China from profiting off of its horrific human rights abuses. We have reinstituted or re-engaged uh, with uh, through staffing of our uh, of our um, uh, team on the ground in Beijing. So uh, we'll see what the report says. Should we still be expecting executive orders from the president on gun measures? Yes. You'll see more executive action, as Josh and others were asking about, and that review's underway. And specifically, do you plan to move forward with the vaccine campaign to try to improve education? It's launching, Kristen. It's happening. Uh, we, we are launching a public campaign. There are some details that have been out um, and reported. Um, uh, now when we start to um, uh, get to uh, get to the point where we are trying to reach uh, more and more and more communities, of course, vaccinate adults, uh, Americans in this country, Oh, we're, we're working on it, hopefully soon, uh, uh, but, you know, we would say that um, the frustration should be vented at the members of the House and Senate who voted against the measures the president support. Um, first, as the president How conveyed yesterday, um, he feels that uh, voting rights um, are, uh, I will just say that uh, it's not a question oh of God. if, uh, but when, uh, when uh, we uh, work, work through with uh, the Mexican government. Uh, any White House, including ours, has to walk into gum at the same time, move forward on a range of priorities, a range of crises facing the country. Can you define when before too long might be Turned. and whether it would be uh, to the White House? <coughs> Bless you. Thank you. Uh, but I don't have anything to preview for you on that particular um, event. I'm wondering what, when the president plans to appoint someone or nominate someone mm -hmm. to the FDA, but more broadly, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about why the president is behind Presidents Obama and Trump on appointing both at the FDA and a variety of other uh, vacancies, including the Deputy Secretary at DHS and the Solicitor General. Well, I'll also point out that the president is also the first president to have all 15 cabinet nominees confirmed on this timeline and without a single one dropping out if we're just making comparisons between administrations. I take your point about the cabinet. I'm asking about some others, so. What was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> What's he waiting for to appoint? Well, he's got to see if Kristen Sinema has any relatives that need a job yeah. and if there's any other mansions that need a job somewhere. The I'll, FDA I'll, or... I like what she said. She wants to be in the Olympics. <laughs> well, why don't you just identify as crippled and go to the Special Olympics? I mean, she's terrible. I mean, just, this is just I, how are we watching this. We we might have we gotta have to do something about these crazy towns. They hurt me. The um, <laughs> the way she talks to them in the flippant kind of just. God. Don't worry about what we're doing. It's none of your business. We'll get back to you. I'm glad you have some little questions in your little notebook there. Yeah, that's cute. <laughs> but that's don't cute. worry about what we're doing. And, and what about some of these reporters? Um, can you... Uh, can it's you, very uh, silent can in the way uh, they talk to her. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, my God. Trumpet was like, you're a killer! <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. All right, great week. As always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders... EMTs, everybody on the show. Thanks, thanks, Chief. Thanks, Fran. Thanks, Real America's Voice. Thanks to you, the live from Studio 6B audience, most of all. We will see you Monday night, 8 p.m. Right here, live from Studio 6B. We'll see you then.